been a long offseason for ASU football fans, to say the least, but every day we're getting closer and closer to the season's kickoff on November 7th, and suffice to say, the juices really started flowing with announcements such as the one we had last Saturday where the Pac-12 football schedule was released. So in this episode of the Devil's Junkies podcast, I will give you my thoughts and analysis on the Sun Devil football schedule, what are some of the pros and cons for this seven-game slate, and later on in the podcast, I will be joined by Pac-12 network analyst Yogi Roth, who will give us his perspective not only on the ASU schedule, but also on the schedule of the rest of the Pac-12, how does he see the different division races shaping up, and who may be the surprise team or teams in the conference. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. Welcome to the Devil Junkies podcast. I'm your host and devilsitis.com publisher, Hood Rubino. And since the ASU schedule has been out, everybody has an opinion. Some fans love the path that some devils may have towards a division championship. Some may think that schedule is too much of a challenge to even talk in those terms. I think the truth lies somewhere in between. So here's how I come out on the ASU schedule. Obviously, we're going to begin with week one, which the Pac-12 clearly wanted to make a splash with this type of game. Arizona State at USC, the presumptive battle for the Pac-12 style championship. And not only does week one offer such an attractive matchup, but also offers a first ever 9 a.m. Pacific time kickoff. And the good news for the fans here in Arizona is that daylight savings time actually ends earlier than usual this year on November 1st. So this game will actually kick off an hour later, 10 a.m. Arizona time or Mountain Standard time to be exact. So that gives the folks here in my backyard a little extra time to sleep in and probably not wake up as early as the folks will on the West Coast. And look, I can probably devote an, almost an entire podcast as to whether it's a good idea to kick off that early in the day against your toughest opponent on the schedule. But just want to mention some of the more significant bullet points over here, which may be changing your mind or maybe just reinforcing your mind wherever it is that much more. So here they are. I do agree that waking up in a hotel room on the road at 4.30 in the morning is probably less than ideal and whether you're going to play a football game later in the day or even catching an early morning flight, probably not the greatest experience in the world. But it's very important to keep in mind, and I've seen some tweets about this, but probably not enough, that as we speak, the Arizona State players are engaging in the same exact routine. Now, maybe they're not waking up at 4.30 on the dot, but maybe closer to five o'clock, but they need to be at the football facility at 6 a.m., uh, receiving treatment, eating breakfast before their strength and conditioning session, or just uh, practicing. Uh, these days, I'm sure they have to also allot enough time to get uh, t- to get tested daily, uh, just to make sure that the health and safety of themselves and the rest of the coaching and staff is intact. So the point I'm trying to make is that the ASU players, as it is, are not night owls. They're not Players that stay up until midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning know they have a much later start the next morning. They they just have a routine right now which really forces them to wake up early. And what they're going to go through in that hotel room in Los Angeles on November 7th, if you talk about the specific times where they're going to have to be up and going, is not going to be a whole lot different than what they have uh, right now in Tempe. So I just think that that's a real important aspect uh, to, to keep in mind, and I don't think it really gives uh, USC more of an advantage uh, just because they're going to be in the hotel that they're accustomed to before home games, waking up at the same time as the Arizona State players. Another point to make, and I know this may be the most controversial one, 
is that we did get a heads up from Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott dating back to last year that the 9 a.m. Pacific time kickoffs were something that the conference was truly exploring as they want to give the Pac-12 as much exposure as possible to the eastern and central time zones. And when you have uh, the kickoffs at 7 or 7.30 p.m. Pacific time, now when you figure in uh, a game airing two and three hours ahead of you for the for most of the country, you basically have a situation where a lot of fans are not able to watch a given Pac-12 game. Now, I understand that if the game is played on the Pac-12 network, regardless of the kickoff time, you have exposure details as it is just because it's not widely distributed as the networks for the other Power 5 conferences. But honestly speaking, if you're a fan in North Carolina or Wisconsin and you've been watching college football all day long, do you really want to sit down and watch another game that kicks off at 9 or 9.30 in the evening local time or 10 or 10.30 local time? Probably not. And it doesn't matter if the game is on Fox or ESPN where is a more readily available network for you. So this is a game that definitely gives a lot of exposure for the conference, features two of its best teams. And I think that there's a lot of cases to be made where the East Coast makes concessions for the West Coast, has kickoff times, tip-off times, puck dropping times at a much later time of the day. So in some way, maybe things have to balance out one of these days and have West Coast teams accommodate East Coast viewers, and this is one of those instances. The third and last point, which I think is the most significant, is that the preseason preparedness. And that's something that if you follow me on Twitter at Devil's Digest, or if you're a premium subscriber on my website, devilsdigest.com, I've talked about this topic extensively, and I think it's one that cannot be overstated. And that's the fact that Arizona State, compared to not only the rest of the Pac-12 South, but really the rest of the conference, is definitely one of the most prepared teams going into the 2020 season. They've been really fortunate to have no interruptions whatsoever, whether you're talking about local and health safety guidelines that may be hindering them or just the general health of the team. Arizona State has really been able to prepare uninterrupted for the last few months, something that their opponents in the first two weeks, USC and Cal, can definitely not say the same. So when you're fortunate to put all the necessary possible work that you need to put in before you go into the fall camp phase. And I guess you really can't call it fall camp because school's in session, but let's just call it the last three, four weeks leading up to a season opener where your practices intensify, you have more and more session in pads. Arizona State has really been able to put all the necessary work possible to have that last natural phase take place when it does. They don't feel like other teams have to be rushing in into full padded practice sessions, for example. So when it comes to strength and conditioning sessions, or when it comes to walkthroughs where we're on there on the field with coaches uh, in helmet and shorts and with a football, Arizona State really has not missed a beat when it comes to what even a normal preseason schedule would look like. And I think for a team like Arizona State, which is implementing new schemes on both sides of the ball, it was really imperative to get as much prep work as possible. And really, when you go back to spring practice, which I know feels like a million years ago, Arizona State was able to fit in seven sessions, and you have allotted 
15 practices, if you recall. So really, they just got got through half of their spring practice sessions, and that's a, a claim that no other Pac-12 team can make. So again, when you just talk about overall preparations in the offseason, even when it comes to spring practice, ASU is ahead of the curve compared to its conference foes. So when you compare that to a team like USC or Cal, in theory, they're not going to be as prepared of a team to take the field as somebody like Arizona State. Now, obviously, the burden of proof is definitely on the Sun Devils to prove everything that I said right now correctly when the rubber meets the road. But at least on paper, you can say that Arizona State is in a worse position than a team like USC or Cal in terms of what they're able to accomplish going into the 2020 season. And when you play that first game on the road, but now you look at a level of preseason preparedness, which is higher than your opponent, I think that negates the whole home field advantage. And let's talk about home field advantage. I think suffice to say with the stringent health and safety regulations the state of California still has in place, that we're probably not going to see fans in the LA Coliseum on November 7th at 9 o'clock in the morning. And even if we do see some, I mean, it's going to be far, far cry from a venue that holds, uh, what, 80, 90,000 fans on a normal day. So I think that that's also a factor that does play into Arizona State's hands. If they're going to have a week one matchup at USC, this is definitely not your typical USC home game where you can have 80, even 90,000 fans in the, in the stands rooting against you. So that, I think, worked out quite nicely for Arizona State, obviously unfor- under unfortunate circumstances, but circumstances that really do negate, to some extent, the home field advantage the USC Trojans will have. Didn't mean to spend too much time on that ASU-USC game, but I know it probably deserves some extra bandwidth, and some of you probably didn't mind the extra discussion. That being said, let's look at the rest of the schedule for the Sun Devils. Now, another thing the Pac-12 wanted to achieve in this 2020 schedule was having the crossover game, which again would be the sixth game of the season, although not not necessarily a week six game, but a contest against a random team from the opposing division that you were planning to play anyway. And the Pac-12 did indicate that they did not want this randomness to be so arbitrary, and they actually wanted to protect the contenders of each division with those matchups. So they didn't want USC and Oregon which some would say would be the leading contenders to win each of their divisions to actually meet in that six crossover game. But as long as that theory may be true to those two teams in specific and Utah, for for example, as well. But with Arizona State, that, I would say, attitude or approach definitely did not hit a bullseye because ASU will be hosting Cal. And Cal is a team that can objectively say is the second best team in the Pac-12 North just behind Oregon. On the flip side, you have Utah hosting Oregon State and you have USC hosting Washington State in their respective crossover games. So ASU definitely got the short end of the stick, at least on paper. You never know what's going to happen when the game's actually played. But they definitely have a much easier contest in comparison, although all three teams are actually playing at home against their North opponents. Now, going back to my previous point, as far as the level of preseason preparedness, I do think that Arizona State is definitely ahead of the curve compared to a team like Cal as well. And ASU hosting them at home, probably without fans or a very limited number of fans, uh, is still going to be more advantageous 
than playing them in in Berkeley. So I think that uh, it's something that did work out to Arizona State's advantage. Again, playing a team like Cal in week two when they potentially would have more kinks to work out, uh, maybe not be in the same level of conditioning as Arizona State. I think that actually something that works out in the Sun Devils' favor. Now, I know it's saying the obvious, but the results of both of those games at USC and a home against Cal are really going to set the tone for the rest of the season for ASU. If they can win both games, there's no doubt they're going the rest of the season with loads of confidence, and rightfully so, thinking that the Pac-12 South Championship is something that's definitely in their grasp, and they're probably even thinking Pac-12 Championship too as well. But if they go one and one and worse, that actually brings a bunch of question marks into play, and they're definitely facing an uphill battle to even be in contention for the South and maybe being out of it altogether because in such a short season, if you're digging yourself an early hole, you simply don't have enough time to dig out of it, and there's less and less opportunities for the teams you're competing with to mess up. So that is uh, something that you, that definitely would be very interesting to see if ASU can have that strong start that's really going to set the table for the rest of 2020. So uh, when you look at the um, rest of the schedule, uh, the game against Cal is November 14th at home, and then ASU goes on the road again on November 21st at Colorado. And it's a game which provides the obvious dynamic of being a cold weather game uh, a week before Thanksgiving. I can't believe uh, it's going to be Chamber of Commerce weather or they're in Boulder to begin with. Uh, maybe they luck out into some kind of mini heat, heat wave where the temperatures might be in the 50s or 60s at kickoff, but uh, that's probably doubtful. You definitely have a talent disparity between, between Colorado and ASU. Colorado is a team that, for whatever reason, has definitely had ASU's number for the last few years. So this is one game that really sticks in the craw of Rome Edwards. And I think in one of his previous interviews this year, he wasn't shy of expressing that notion. So really curious to see how ASU comes out in what should be some adverse weather conditions against a team such as the Buffaloes, which is definitely inferior in talent, but maybe the weather does balance things out. When you talk about the inability that USC and Cal had to really put in all the necessary preseason workout, that does hold true to Colorado, maybe to somewhat of a lesser extent, but there was a uh, major outbreak of COVID-19 cases there in Boulder County and Colorado for the last two weeks has not been able to practice. So that definitely cuts down to their preparation time. Will be interesting to see how it can affect their contest against ASU still early in the season, week, week three. So we'll see what happens over there. Now, the biggest advantage on ASU's schedule is playing its last three games in state of Arizona, with minimal travel, obviously. On November 28th, Saturday after Thanksgiving, they're going to host Utah. A week later, December 5th, they host UCLA and end the season with the Territorial Cup in Tucson on December 11th. I, I like to think that ASU is still better than all, all of those teams, uh, but when you look specifically at Utah and, and UCLA, those are teams that probably feel somewhat less comfortable playing on the road, but playing them at home Again, even though you're not going to have 50,000-plus screaming fans, I think uh, did work out uh, nicely as far as being a, a tougher game at home rather than away from the friendly confines of Tempe. And if you did start the season on a high note to have two of your last three games uh, at home, uh, definitely helps your chances, I think, winning the division. And then you have the, uh, like I said, Territorial Cup game in Tucson to, to end the season. We know that game is going to be the only Friday contest for ASU, December 11th, to be specific. It is going to air on ESPN, 
No kickoff time as of yet has been announced, but that's something to something to look out for as far as uh, national exposure. Definitely when you have a Friday night game and you don't have that many games played on that night of the week. This day and age, needless to say, you want to travel the least amount possible to increase your chances of the health, of health and safety. So again, I think you cannot really overstate the fact that ASU is not going to really going to have to travel that much at all the last three weeks of the season is definitely something that is, is significant. I'm not saying this happened by design, but the Pac-12 definitely did ASU a huge favor in that regard, and maybe, just maybe, it balances out the tough start to the schedule going to USC and hosting Cal when you play uh, your last three games uh, in in-state. So those are my schedule thoughts, and as always, I'd love to get uh, differing perspectives from my colleagues. So next, we'll have Pac-12 Network Analyst Yogi Roth We'll get uh, his thoughts on the Arizona State schedule and the various Pacto schedules as a whole. Who does he see contending in each division and how will the schedule makeup affect some of those contenders in the conference? Joining us now on the Devil's Junkies podcast is someone who I, I would describe as a Pac-12 football ambassador whose overall perspective of the conference is always detailed and insightful. And now that we have a football schedule for the entire league, I could not think of a better person to give us an overall perspective of the Pac-12 and his thoughts on the Sun Devils and their 2020 season prospects. I'm delighted to be joined by Pac-12 network analyst Yogi Roth. Yogi, thank you so much for making time for us today. How excited are you to finally talking about a tangible Pac-12 football schedule? man so pumped i mean you kind of had a little taste of it right with the revised schedule you know you're thinking okay here we go uh and then obviously the season gets postponed and then you deal with that and you kind of accept it and then all of a sudden we get the daily testing and this thing's gonna happen and now i feel i probably feel the best i felt about this 2020 season because i feel the i feel the most confident the players in the best position to be safe and the coaches as well of course so I'm pumped, man. I can't wait to uh, do whatever we do, right? I don't know if anybody's going to be on proverbial campuses, but we'll be talking to people who are on campuses and competing and playing. So I can't wait till the season gets rolling. So I know that uh, the excitement level may be a little more in Tempe in Los Angeles. Week one, right out of the gate, November 7th, 9 a.m. Pacific time kickoff, ASU at USC. From your perspective, I mean, what's the significance of really – coming out of the gate, making a statement, and also making yourself more exposed to the uh, East Coast, something I know that Larry Scott has talked about a lot in the past. Well, for me, I think the biggest disclaimer to make sure that your audience knows is that both teams had to agree to this. It wasn't as though this was Larry Scott saying, hey, you're playing in week one. How do you feel about 9 a.m.? Like nobody had to strong arm anybody. This was both programs have to be 100% all in for this to even be a thing. And I think Sometimes in the Pac-12, when this came out, it was, well, who are they going to choose to go do this? Who's going to have to play? Um, that's not it at all, which to me made this one very interesting because it wasn't as though it was in Tempe where the time zone has changed or it wasn't as though it was in Utah or Colorado. And I think we all probably anticipated that would be the, in air quotes, 9 a.m. Pacific time game. So, so with that said, talking to players at SC, talking to the coaches, they're excited for it, right? I think, number one, because they kick off with a marquee game, right? So if we just talk SC first, they were supposed to play Alabama. 
right? That catches the attention of the players. I, I think for this, this is the best thing for USC's program to play a team that beat them once over the last two times. Herm's clearly recruiting well. A lot of guys these players have played with, trained with are on Arizona State's roster. So I think it's great in that regard of just, you know, getting the guy's attention to be focused, which I think is a critical component during COVID-19. And then for Arizona State, this is like everything you wanted, right? Hey, we're going to chance to compete. Um, Herm has never shied away with the history and tradition of USC. And they know that they are a championship caliber team. And then USC is always, you know, at least proverbial in the media's eyes, right? They're always going to be the team to beat. So circle in this game, doing it at 9 a.m. at the Coliseum where so many kids are from the backdrop of Los Angeles. It's going to be, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be exciting. I, I wouldn't go ahead and predict a bunch of 9 a.m. games in L.A. moving forward. I, it's hard for me to wrap my head around that. But this year, because it's so unique, I think it's great. And um, I don't want to overlook uh, the, the game in week two because I think uh, it might not be the sexy matchup like USC is, but ASU hosting Cal, I don't know about you, Yogi, but I think Cal's a team that might be second only to Oregon and may be a- able to challenge, I, th- I think, the Ducks more than people think they, they are. How do you see that matchup and maybe how the result of that ASU-USC game can affect the matchup that ASU is going to have at home a week later hosting Cal? Well, I think the good thing for Arizona State is that it's a home game. So you come back and it's not like you had to go on the road twice. Uh, for Cal, I just got off the phone with Coach Wilcox. You know, they play Washington week one. It's not like they've got, you know, a game that doesn't grab their attention from the beginning. So I think they're in the same boat. And I think right off the bat in those two games for Arizona State, you're going to learn a ton about who they are. I mean, they start 2-0 and and they'll be a top, you know, 15, 12 team. Uh, if they start off three and zero, they'll be really high in the college football, the initial college football playoff rankings. So, ton at stake. I, I'm with you with the Bears, though. I mean, and here's a couple things. One is you saw earlier today; it's the fifth of October. Cam Bynum decides to come back. To me, he's the number one rated DB in the Pac-12 because Paul Sanadivo left, Javon Holland has left. So, you know, you looked at some of the guys who've opted out. I think he's he's that next guy. He reminds me a lot of Julian Blackman. Ton of range, can play all over, will play all over. Offensively. Chase Garbers is the winningest quarterback returning in this conference. I, I was told that months ago and it caught me off guard. So he's going to, he's played in big games. I called big games where he's won like the big game last year against Stanford. So he won't flinch in the environment. So what are you going to get? You're going to get championship caliber football the first two weeks in a season that is a single elimination tournament, basically. So I, I, I love it to, to just for the entertainment value and also for Arizona state, we're going to know a ton within the first, you know, it's going to be seven days of football from that Saturday to the next one to see what they're about. Now, it's no secret that, uh, unfortunately, the schools in California did not have the same restrictions or lack thereof that schools in Arizona had. So how much uh, do you put the uh, preseason preparedness that ASU has had compared to its first two opponents, USC and Cal, which no fault of their own have really been uh, handcuffed as able, what are they able to do as far as strength and conditioning, team meetings, film studies, uh, walkthroughs. I mean, ASU and those two schools are, are on a different level. Do you think when the rubber meets the road, it will make a difference or not make that, that much of a difference? I think in week one, it won't make a dramatic difference because I think both teams are going to be so fresh. At least we, we'd hope to see both teams get through the proverbial training camp on skate. I think week two, uh, yeah, like late in the game, it might. You know, again, just getting off the horn with, with Coach Wilcox. Like, they've had different dynamics than – ASU everybody's had different dynamics as you referenced so yeah I think in the latter part of the season is when I think that'll show up you know when 
ASU plays UCLA, for instance, in week five, is that th- that might be a telling element there with that program and the legs and soft tissue injuries and all the stuff that we're seeing in the NFL with the bridge training camps. Do we see that in college football as well? So it, it is an advantage. I don't think it's as dramatic early in the season as it is middle to the late part of the season. But yeah, man, I, I think we'd be foolish if we said ASU didn't have an advantage in terms of taking advantage of the 12 hours per week they had with their student athletes and what they were able to do with them. I know you mentioned earlier that uh, any team in the South or the North that gets off to such a hot start, maybe they are going to be uh, in uh, contention to be at the top, top 10 AP poll. And now the question is what happens with the, with the college football playoffs? I mean, you and I sitting here right now on October 5th, we don't know how many games other power five conferences are, are able, able going to squeeze in when it's time for the committee to make their decision. I know Larry Scott uh, did uh, implore the committee to expand uh, this year. Unfortunately, his efforts uh, were not successful. Maybe they have a change of heart later on. But do you think the Pac-12, just because it's starting as late as it is, would still have a valid argument for a 7-0, and maybe even a 6-1 and team to be in that final four? Or do you think it might be a really uphill climb in what has been a crazy year, crazy season? Well, I think it's an uphill climb. Okay, I don't think we can shy away from that. But I also think that in college football, and I've been highly critical of the, of the playoff committee, um, and I, I, they, they sent me down there last year in Dallas, and I got to be Rob Mullins. You get to basically role play. So I got to be the acting chair of the committee and sit in the chair, look at what they study, how they evaluate. And a lot of it is uh, based on numbers, and a lot of it is based on the eye test, right? And then there's kind of dialogue and argument between uh, all of those parties regarding who's going to make, you know, a certain spot in, in each week's rankings. With that said, I have to also praise the CFP for moving back the initial date, right? They moved it. So it's not going to be after the first game in Pac-12 football, it'll be after the third game. So now you have three data points. And, and I think that's huge. And I think that's the right thing to do. The other thing that I think is the right thing to do, and I, I do trust the 13 people on the committee. I mean, there are as esteemed as you can find in college football to say, I get that every team in major college football has had to not only compete against their opponent across them, but also compete against the coronavirus. And Pac-12 schools have simply had it worse. When you look at the footprints traditionally in this conference, Utah, of course, a little different, Colorado, a little different, but every school has had their issues at certain times where they've had to pull back or, you know, take two steps back to just take one forward. So with that said, I think there'll be a level of empathy for a six and oh, potentially seven and oh Pac-12 champion. I think if you have one loss, I think it might be tough. Uh, And I think other conferences are going to dictate a lot of this. Like the big 12 to me, they're on the verge of being out, right? Oklahoma, the poster child for that conference and the playoff, they've lost two straight games and haven't looked good in the process. Texas clearly, you know, escaped week one, lost week two, haven't looked good in the process. So even if, you know, Texas has finished with one loss and they beat Oklahoma, I don't think it has this shiny luster on it like it has in your years past if they're similar records. So I think that's a benefit for the Pac-12. And I would be hard-pressed and I would be probably rather disgusted if like the, the, the committee in this year said we'll take two teams from a conference, be it two from the SEC, like everybody always wants to make the argument, and none from another conference, whether it's the Pac-12 or the Big Ten or the Big 12. Um, I, I, would be, I, I would be bummed out if that was the case or if Miami beats Clemson, then Clemson runs the table the rest of the way. Like I, I don't think they would do that, especially when given the opportunity to expand and they turn that down. So net-net. Yeah, I think an undefeated team is an incredible opportunity to make an argument based on what's happened in the first couple of weeks of the season. 
And I think we need to hope for not only two undefeated teams to play, but also the teams underneath them to be five and one and play each other. Like you don't want a bunch of, um, you know, two and four teams or four and two teams in this conference uh, when it comes to the final week of the season. You want the conference to be strong. So going back to the Pac-12 schedule, now that you've uh, seen uh, the entire uh, gamut of the games, you have time to digest digest uh, the uh, schedule. Do you feel that there's maybe one team that just purely based on the schedule in a very unconventional year, obviously, could maybe sneak up and surprise people either in the North or the South? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, you can't believe I'm going to say they're a surprise because they've won the South the last two years, but it's Utah again. You know, they're not going to be picked. I just did my media vote. I'm sure you did as well in terms of what team that you would pick. And I didn't pick Utah to win the South, but I could see it happening. Right. Number one, they have been they've had the smoothest transition during COVID, I believe, than any other program in terms of they haven't missed a workout since June for the most part. So their team physically will be the most ready. We already know the mentality of their head coach, Kai Whittingham, and how their team reflects. So they're going to be tough. They're going to be resilient. They're not going to hurt themselves. And then you look at their schedule and Arizona at UCLA, a really young team that I think will be much more dangerous in the back half of the season than right off the bat based on COVID-19 and the amount of new faces, new players, um, even some new coaches that they're going to have on that roster. Uh, and then they get SC Arizona back to back. If they can get through that, they're 4-0 with Oregon State and Colorado to, to finish it off, putting them in, you know, the, the probably the best of situations heading into a title game. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw Utah back there again. They got the deepest receiving core under Kyle Whittingham and his reign there. Jake Bentley, I would project to be the quarterback. He's clearly played in big games. And this defense has reloaded. You follow recruiting like I do, man. Like they've, they have some real talented players. So it wouldn't be shocked. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if Utah took a run at this thing for the third straight year. Um, in terms of Arizona State, you mentioned earlier uh, that they're definitely a championship caliber team. And obviously, like you said, game against USC, game against Cal is going to tell us a lot about Arizona State. But just in general, whether you know you call it a challenging start to the season or not, what are your expectations of Arizona State in 2020? What do you think it's going to take for them to be that South champion or maybe even beyond that? I can't wait to watch them compete, man. I really am excited. I mean, number one, they got seven spring practices in, which was, was a really critical element, I think, for their development of the program. Number two, they have a lot of you know players who play a lot of football, right? Three are starters in Merlin Robertson, Darius Butler, uh, Shari Croswell. You look at the corners, Jack, Jack, and Chase. I mean, now, you know, granted, Diamador Lenore, Lenore just announced his return to Oregon, but they're the, probably the, the best duo at corner in this conference based on at least where we sit today with regarding players that have opted out, definitely in the Pac-12 South. I look at that as one of the better secondaries. Uh, the defensive front, I think, doesn't get enough love. You know, I think they have some players on that front that will be able to emerge and make some noise, which they need to. And then on the offensive, on the offensive side, uh, running back, I think to me, you know, granted, uh, Daniel Nagata gets a lot of play, but Demonte Trainum, I talked to him uh, before signing day. Staff has raved about him. I think he's got a chance to be an all-conference back, and more than that. So if they can make plays on the outside with receivers, and they have depth there, other than Frank Darby, it's suitably unproven. They should be really talented. So then it comes down to focus. You know, how do you focus with no fans? How do you focus in the environment, which is going to be the reality of college football? If they could do that at a high level, they'll have a really good chance, I think, to not only be in every game, but 
to winning the Pac-12 South and, and put Herm's team right in the position that he had the vision for when he took this thing over. Give me, uh, Yogi, your uh, prediction, South champion, North champion, and uh, who's winning it all in the Pac-12 in this abbreviated seven-game season. Yeah, I think it's really hard to pick. Like when I went through the games, you, you can make arguments. I call them circle games where you circle and you say, I don't, I don't really know. Uh, but to get off the fence, I think Oregon's going to win it in the North. I, I think their culture is really strong. I think Tyler Shuck is a star. He's waited his time. Uh, and, I, and I love just the intangibles of the program and the tangibles. I love the freshman linebackers that they have. Kayvon Thibodeau might be the player of the year defensively for this conference. And again, I reference the culture. I mean, it, Oregon's rolling. In the South, I would go SC. Uh, I just think that down the middle, even though they lost Jake Tefele, defensively, they're one of the best defenses, if not the best defense in the conference. You know, you look at Drake Jackson, Marlon Tui-Pelotu, they have a lot of defensive linemen that have played a lot. I really like the linebacking core. Pala'ie Naoteote uh, might be the, you know, he, he's on the freak list in terms of middle linebackers who can just, has tremendous range. And then um, at the safety position, Talano Hafunga is as talented as there is in the conference. So I like them down the middle. I think you have to be, I think you have to be special down the middle of the defense. They're going to score. They've got all the horses. We know them on offense and Slovis, et cetera. But the reason I pick SC is, is for their defense, uh, and especially early on, because I think they'll be their freshest early and two of their first three, of course, Arizona state, and then Utah in week three, I think that puts them in good position if they can start off three and oh, that they'll be able to finish the thing and, and hopefully be undefeated heading into the title. Because that's what we need. At the end of the day, I don't really care who wins. I just want both teams to be undefeated in the North and South. Absolutely. Well, like you said, Yogi, it's great to finally talk tangible Pac-12 football schedule. Uh, fingers crossed that everything uh, just starts on time and ends on time. And for folks who want to catch your work, Yogi, uh, can you tell us uh, where can they find you on social media and the Pac-12 network this year? Yeah, just at Yogi Roth and uh, track us on, on Pac-12 Networks. Like we may not have a lot of games this year, but we're going to be uh, overloading you with content analysis. Um, you know me, I, I can't not watch a game and give a take on it. And I love to teach and be a part of it. So uh, we'll do it in the, in the booth when they let us. But in the meantime, I will make sure we're in the studio and, and bring you whatever we can. So uh, yeah, check me on social and make sure you're following Pac-12 Networks. Well, Yogi, I waited way too long to have you on my podcast, but it was definitely worth the wait. Thank you so much, my friend, and I hope to see you uh, later on. Stay healthy and safe. You too, man. Again, for Yogi Roth from the Fact 12 Network joining us and giving us his take on the 2020 Arizona State football schedule as well as the rest of the conference going into the season. So we're getting closer and closer to kickoff and obviously there's going to be a lot to discuss between now and the season opener November 7th at USC. This is why I want to encourage everybody listening to this podcast to become a premium subscriber today at devilsdigest.com. The last few months we've been providing a lot of recruiting news and that will obviously continue until December signing day which is just two and a half months away. But we have already had our season previews on our front page and will have and will continue to publish interviews with various ASU players and coaches. So if you don't want to miss a thing going into the season, as well as any team news during the 2020 season, just go to our front page at devilsitis.com to sign up for a premium membership. The circumstances might be tough these days, but my staff and I are 
really eager to bring you the best coverage of Sunderful football. And we look forward to seeing you on our premium message board, Devil's Huddle, so you can get all the latest and also interact with your fellow Sun Devil fans about the season. There's a lot to be excited about this football schedule, and in our next podcast, we'll delve more into what we can expect from the Sun Devil squad in 2020. I think there might be some surprises personnel-wise in terms of players starting and maybe players also in the two deep that we did not expect to see there going into this year. And those are things that will definitely be interesting to follow in the weeks and months to come. So keep it locked on devilsitis.com. Become a premium subscriber if you're not already one, and we'll provide you all those details and much, much more. Thanks again for joining us. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. All my friends were vampires Didn't know they were vampires Turns out I was a vampire myself in the devil town